So welcome. I'm sitting here in the kitchen with um, Suzanne Jones, and we're wanting to have a conversation which invites you to think about what the early learning years fl- framework is in early childhood education and, and why it matters. Thanks, Suj. And I'm really interested in this as far as the word framework, because that sounds quite rigid and technical, but it's not, and it goes back hundreds and thousands of years. Yeah, so... For as long as we can remember, since the, the classical uh, Greeks, um, we've been, um, in my tradition at least, we've been classifying uh, personality types and, and motivation and uh, healthy bodies and diet. So we've been looking at these systems for classifying people. Oh, so you're telling me Myers-Briggs wasn't new? No, absolutely <laughs> not. So he looked at the, at the four elements so the, you know, and constructed... Um, an overlap. So from four elements like uh, fire, earth, air, water, he's created 16 different um, personality types where they kind of overlap. So do these personality types come out from an early age? Absolutely. I think <laughs> from the moment you look into your child's eyes, you get a glimpse of who they're going to be as they, as they emerge and, and they grow. Wow. Um, I, I think... It's really important to to engage with this because I think what so many people do when they think of the framework is they come up with a tick sheet. They come up with a, a tick and a flick where they've got a document or they've got a process which becomes compliance driven. It's about how do I prove to the Department of Education that I am doing the framework? And I think what we fail to do in that is we fail to embody it. So I really encourage everybody to dig deep in their own tradition. So um you know, the Ayurvedic traditions in the Indian subcontinent. We've got um, the Wu Jing traditions from China. We've got the, um, the um, Arabic traditions where we're looking at these classification systems. And what you'll find when you start doing your research is there's just so many, many stories um, where we start to see how these um, personality types have play out and how they behave. So could you take one of those and just give us an example? So often um, in the early years learning framework, so um, element um, number one is that children have a strong sense of identity. Now, this is obviously really, really important, but sometimes people have a shy identity. So it doesn't mean that shy is necessarily a problem, right? So we're not trying to change the identity of the child. We're just wanting to understand and to help them feel secure and to feel strong in that identity. So typically you would look at, a, say, the, um, the uh, Ayurveda, it might be Teja or um, uh, Hongfeng in Chinese, or we're looking at, at Mars or Aries in the, Greek, in the Greek traditions. So we can start to dig into those traditions and to find stories which tell us how these uh, people, uh, heroes, warriors, um, how they behaved and how they they carried on in their lives, and that can give us a little bit of an insight. That kind of helps us understand how these classification systems work. It's interesting because when you said being shy is okay, uh, yet uh, a while ago the shy person would always maybe be pushed out to be louder, and that was going against, obviously, their identity. Oh, absolutely, and and also against human nature. Like, I'm terrified of snakes. You're not going to cure me of my fear by putting me in a snake pit, right? Can so, we try? <laughs> <laughs> maybe one day I'll, I'll uh, step into that. But I think it is really important to think, like, you know, telling a child not to be shy and to just to get over it and that whole rip the Band-Aid off quickly approach is um, – is not really what we're trying to do in early childhood education. We're wanting them to feel uh, supported, to feel nurtured, to feel safe, to feel secure. 
And maybe from that shyness comes a great strength. Maybe there's a great um, empathy. Um, maybe there's, there's a wisdom that is different to the other children that comes from that. Maybe they're the child that sits and observes and understands everybody before they step in and become the leader, right? So there's lots of different reasons why we might notice shyness. Um, there's also some tragic reasons too. Maybe there's signs of abuse. Maybe there's some other things that are sitting behind that. So we have to take in the whole picture. But to jump to conclusions and say we want to have, you know, uh, public speakers from from two and we're going to uh, step them through the motions to overcome their their speaking shyness and to get involved is, is not what we're on about. So when you said that public speakers say from two, so therefore on the other end of the scale you'd have the extrovert, how do you make sure then that uh, the shy one and the extrovert sort of get the equal time? That's really, really, really interesting. So um, often we, um, like in the classical traditions, uh, we think of the extrovert as like the choleric, the very fiery personality. They're, They're the ones that make quick decisions and they're good leaders. So they're, um, they're, they're, people follow them because it's easy. They kind of cut the path for everybody else. But the flip side of that, now every strength has a weakness. The, the brighter the light, the longer the shadow. So there's all these reasons why we look at that and say, well, you know, sometimes rulers can't cope with change. Maybe they don't like it when um, all of a sudden the community turns on them and says, hang on, we want to have a turn. You know, we can't follow you all the time and they start to feel excluded. So there's a whole lot of um, things that need to be worked with depending on that child to help them take turns, to help them listen, to help them allow other people uh, to set the rules some days. So it really is important that uh, the early childhood years are um, like nurtured. Absolutely. So... um, Nurturing them is, and it means different things for different people. So we've talked a little bit about the, you know, the the, cho- the choleric child or the ruling child, um, but you know maybe we could talk about the melancholic child. You know, so we there we've got like um, the picture of of Earth. You know, so I think of of like a really old tree. It's been planted many many generations ago. It's got its roots firmly into the ground, and it's uh, got it's supporting all this beautiful life above above the ground. Um, but it doesn't take well to change. Yeah? So environmental change, sudden movements, changing the routine, uh, these things take time. So if you, know, if you can identify this um, uh, kind of uh, melancholic child, and, and we see that the Adler is often avoiding, so that child doesn't want to do something, they dig in, they can get frustrated, they can get upset, we can go, well, how do we educate them about change? How do we have a strong routine that is predictable so that they know what's coming next and they can help move all the children through the day? They become your best friend in a sense because they support the development of the program. They know when it's playtime. They know when it's mealtime. They know when it's nap time. You know, so you've, you kind of build them into that structure. Um, and again, you're thinking of that, that, um, that kind of connected um, earthy um, element um, uh, and we're thinking, well, and Myers-Briggs called that the feeling child, you know, so this child feels things deeply. When we're thinking about this child, we can see them as not just like stubborn or not just like um, a, 
sand or grit in the cogs, but we can see them as also something that's good for the whole program because they're requiring us to actually explain ourselves and to keep things consistent. Because when you said then about uh, seeing them maybe as grit in the cogs, they're not really because it's the flip side, isn't it? They they don't mean to um, be disagreeable or, you know, um, a roadblock. They just don't, they just need it explained. Absolutely. So it's just really being connected to that. And I think that's in the hustle and the bustle of adult life, we often, we have a list of things, a list of chores, even if the chores are fun, right? We've got activities and we expect the kids to just enjoy them. And on the day, there's a kid that doesn't want to partake. They're just not buying what you're selling, right? <laughs> and that can be really frustrating and we can see them as a problem. And it's really important that we step back from that and we go, okay, so what is the framework telling us? How can we prepare this child for this activity? Maybe I'm trying to do too much. Maybe I've gone from A to F and I've missed all of the steps in the middle. Um, how do I provide an example of what we're doing up front so they can see where we're going and they don't get lost in all the steps along the way? You know, very similar kind of expectations we have for adults, but we sometimes forget to do that when we're working with children. Because that's really interesting, isn't it? Because, you know, we all have bad days, as you said, and it could have been late nights or it could have been something going on at home or uh, and, and that's just being brought into the, um, you know, early learning environment. Yes, absolutely. So, um, like we, when we think about children have a strong sense of well-being, right, they're, they're the children that can um, take responsibility for their own uh, place in this world. They look, they, they eat, they communicate, uh, they wash their hands, they do their toileting, uh, they are engaged. You know, so we have this kind of sense that, well, when that's working, that, that we're doing a really good job. But we can also, we have a role to support all children to find their voice and to find their place in this world. So to make that part of the framework, children having a strong sense of well-being, just requires us to check in, right? So maybe they are the, um, the grit in the cogs today, um, but that doesn't mean that their well-being is necessarily suffering, but it means oh, we can work harder or we can just tweak our program a little bit so that they get more engagement and they get more out of it. So is there a naughty child? So the question, is there a naughty child, is, is something that we come up against a lot. Like at the heart of it, I don't think any child is naughty. Like there's no malice right? Um, we've had examples of, um, of two-year-olds which um, hit, bite, scratch, pull hair, scream. Um, they do these things. Um, and it's very easy to think because we, we see they do it in reaction or they do it when our back's turned. So they're, they're clever. They know, what we're, they know what they're doing. <laughs> at such a young age too. But we, from a learning perspective, we look at it, well, um, it's about attention. So how does a child get productive attention, attention and, and also negative attention um, because what the child is doing right now is feeding that child in some way. So if they're being fed by negative attention, if the only time an adult sits with them and gives them that heart-to-heart one-on-one is actually when they're being scolded and told off, that's still feeding that child in some way. So it's like how do you engage with what they're wanting? So yes, they're needing attention. They, they're, reach, they're hitting out, they're grabbing um, all of the focus in the room, all the children and the educators and the families all of a sudden have full eyes on this child. And uh, that can be exhilarating. So when we're looking at managing that behaviour, we've got to look at a whole lot of factors and it's going to be different for every child. You know, does this child have a lot of energy? 
You know, have they been given enough opportunity to run and to move their bodies? You know, are they bored? Maybe they're um, very engaged intellectually um, and they're very cognitive in their approach to the world and they just are frustrated, you know. So we, we need to really understand what's the drivers behind this behaviour before we can think about modifying our attitude and our approach. We often have to look at modifying the environment and it, an example of that might be where you've got um, children that are struggling to share, right? Oh, yes. And you've got to look, are there enough resources? You know, if there's four children, there's only one crayon, then you're asking for trouble as an educator, aren't you? And, and then we've got to look at our attitude because if you sit and you tell a child to share and they don't share and you say, if you, don't, if you can't share, I'm going to have to remove that, ultimately the hidden curriculum is you're telling them that sharing doesn't work, right? Because you're the biggest, most powerful person in the room and you can take it and it's yours. Right. It's very complicated. The other thing, and this is quite random, but uh, I know that, uh, you know, through history, the framework and all of that, but what about where you appear in the family, the eldest, the middle child, the youngest? Does that have any part to play? There are so many, um, and each tradition will have a story about this. So, you just got to scratch the surface, really. If if you uh, look into your own cultural stories about personality types, uh, the mythology, all those stories we've been telling ourselves over the centuries um, about uh, the wicked stepmother or the the big bad wolf or um, uh, the the spoilt youngest child. Yes, yes. So we we want to go through those stories and we want to understand uh, how they impact. Every tradition has a story to tell about where you sit as, you know, the oldest, the middle child or the youngest child. You know, we often think of, of the youngest child as um, being spoilt or bratty or the middle child as in um, being a bit of a, you know, uh, having to carry a lot of expectation. And, and the first child, I've even return, heard the, the phrase, the first pancake, you know, the one that, you know, <laughs> so the experiment yes. where we're all learning as parents, how do we, how do we cope with this? So there's lots of different stories and those relationships and that, the way that has an impact on these different personality types. I think just scratch the surface, have a look at your own traditions. And then from that, launch yourself into the early years learning framework, because you'll just make so many connections. You'll see why these stories matter and why they're relevant. Uj, thank you.